0: Well, I I want to invite you now, grab your Bibles uh, and open it, turn it on to if it's electronic copy. If you don't have either, uh, right there in the pew in front of you, there is a copy there uh, of God's Word. We want to encourage you to open it and turn with us to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as we continue to walk through uh, this series called Examine Yourself. As you're going there, just want to ask this question. Have you ever been convinced that you were supposed to do something? (laughs) Like you had, you may not have understood why or how, but you just had this feeling deep down inside, I am supposed to do this. Have you ever felt misunderstood when you try to tell the people, hey, this is what I feel like I'm supposed to do? They ever kind of look at you like you're crazy? You're not alone. You see, a lot of times when we walk by faith, that's exactly what a lot of people are going to look at us like. You're not alone because this is exactly what we're going to see happen in Paul's life. He was following what God was leading him to do and the people were going, what are you doing and why are you doing it? But this is what we want to take away this morning. The one big thing is this, that being faithful and obedient to God, knowing this, that victory is certain because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. So let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. And I'm going to ask you if you're able, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? Beginning in verse 12, it says this. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and the door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always calls up the triumph in Christ. And make it manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, we thank you for your word, and God, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, the one big thing is this, that we are to be faithful and obedient to God, knowing that victory is certain because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, So the outline that you have in front of you in your bulletin, we're going to chop it in half. We're going to do the first half this morning. Lord willing, we'll do the second half of it uh, next week. There's just so much to mine out of these verses that we don't want to rush through it. But one thing that we want to begin by talking about is this, God's will. Uh, You know, for a long time, I believed that 2 Corinthians is Paul's most personal letter. Um, In it, he's teaching sound doctrine. In it, he is calling people to trust Christ for salvation, but he also, in this book, he shares a lot of the trials and the sufferings and just the difficulty that he has experienced in following God. And that should give us comfort and encouragement because anytime you try to follow God and do what God's asking you to do, sometimes it can feel like a pretty lonely road. Because some people are going to get it and they're going to go, wow, that's amazing, keep it up. And some people are going to go, what in the world are you doing? Like you're you're a complete goober for doing this. And and so we have to understand that following God's will, we're we're not alone. Because what God calls us to, God also goes with us to do. As Paul opens in verse 12, he talks about an open door that God had presented him in the city of Troas. But then all of a sudden, Paul goes, I don't any rest in my spirit. In other words, I wasn't supposed to stay in Troas. I, I was supposed to go further and, and go into Macedonia. Now, why would Paul have gone to Troas in the first place? Well, he was trying to meet up with one of his co-workers, his co-laborers, a man named Titus. You see there in verse uh, 13, he, he's expecting to, to see and get a report from Titus. Why? Because Titus had been in the city of Corinth, and Paul previously had wrote a pretty straightforward, at sometimes maybe what seemed like a harsh letter to the church at Corinth. Previously, you, you can read it. It's called 1 Corinthians. And Paul was very concerned about how that church received his message, and he wanted to make sure that everything was okay. That they were in fact correcting the sin and they were doing what they were supposed to do. And the thing about it for Paul is even though he knew he was doing right by confronting it, it still broke his heart. Paul didn't want to hurt anybody. He didn't want to upset people, but he knew I need to do God's will, which means I need to share God's truth. And we need to set things in order here. And so, Paul here is facing some discouragement. But even in his discouragement, he knew his hope in Christ was certain. He knew it didn't look good in Corinth right now, didn't look like God was doing a whole lot there, but he knew he was. And so, he just continues to persevere through it. And, you know, a parent understands this. The first time you have to discipline your child it's a painful process. I mean, we've even come up with a, a, a saying about it, haven't we? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And and so we're we're trying to explain to our child, this is necessary for you, but it doesn't mean I take joy in it. And and this is the same thing that Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. Listen, I was hard on you. I was straightforward because you needed to hear it, but I didn't take any pleasure in it. And, And so... Paul is expecting to meet Titus in the city of Troas and get a report about how things are going in uh, Corinth there. Well, again, like most of us, Paul took no news to be bad news. He shows up to Troas and Titus isn't there. He's like, oh, great. You know, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and all of a sudden that doctor kind of gets a strange look on their face and goes, you know, I think we need to do some tests on this. Okay, in our minds, what are we thinking? I'm a dead man walking. Like, I better go home, get all my affairs in order because today's it for me, right? Or or when the boss calls us and says, hey, can you come up to my office? I need to see you for a few minutes. Great, I'm fired. How am I going to pay the bills? I I mean, we're running through all of this. It's kind of comical in a way. But what we're seeing is Paul is going, what's happening in Corinth? Did they receive it? Did they not? He's concerned here. But again, he was confident in what he was doing. Part of Paul's discouragement was because of the opposition he was facing by supposed Christians. See, there were false teachers who had come from another city called Galatia. And they would come into these other cities where Paul had been, and they would start creating all sorts of havoc all sorts of problems. And so they're accusing Paul of things left and right. And so Paul's kind of getting beat down a little bit. What we see is they're saying, well, Paul just makes up his own plans. Paul does things on a whim. I mean, after all, by Paul's own admission in the text here, right? He said, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I mean, God opened a door for ministry, for Paul to do what it is he does. But then he opens verse 13, he said, but I had no rest of my spirit. So he said, I, I left, I took leave of him, and I went on to Macedonia. Paul was going, God gave me an opportunity here in Troas, but I wasn't supposed to be here. God wants me over in Macedonia, so I'm, I'm going to go to Macedonia. So all these false Christians, man, they're just hammering away on Paul. And, and what this ultimately should show you and I is this. To an outside world that doesn't love Jesus, following God is going to appear strange. It's not going to make sense. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, he would say that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those who perish, to the unsaved. It doesn't make sense. Not just because of what we do, but sometimes because of what we don't do. You know, Christians think that Christianity uh, lost often think that Christianity is all about a set of rules. Do this, don't do that. But it's not. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ and in that relationship, we're living to please him. So are there things that we do? Yes. Are there things that we don't do? Yes. Not because we're somehow better than you, not because we want God to love us more, but simply because we want to be obedient. And this is what Paul is trying to get at for them. And so we need to learn to be like Paul is in the opening of verse 14. He says, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Paul's going, the situation doesn't look good now, but because of Jesus, it's going to be great. We have to have a a mindset that says, it doesn't matter what today's like because there's a better day coming. There's a plan and a purpose behind everything, including pain in my life. See, Paul was confident in this. Even though everybody was giving him a bunch of grief and he was suffering left and right, Paul was confident that he was doing what God had told him to do. And Paul saw his life as a sacrifice to God. Paul actually calls himself a slave to God. Paul, every single morning, would report for duty, so to speak, by coming to the Lord in prayer and by studying scriptures. And in it, he was just saying, Lord, what do you want to do in me and through me today? I'm convinced that churches lack the power of God. Not because they don't want to do better, but because they are trusting in the Johnny-come-lately celebrity pastors or some program that's put out that promises big results instead of getting on their face before God in prayer with an open Bible you want to see your life change, you want to see a church change, you want to see a community transformed, it's that simple, get on your face before God with an open Bible and say Lord I'm your servant this is your word speak to me. what do you want me to do Where do I go? What am I supposed to do? The analogy that's used in the Old Testament is the potter and the clay. That God is the potter and we're the clay. And guess what? The clay doesn't get to tell the potter, this is what I'm going to do. Hey, Mr. Potter, will you make me into a teacup? Or will you use me for this or that? The clay doesn't get to dictate that. The potter, in his own wisdom, creates of the clay what he knows is best what is needed for that time and that purpose. And this is how you and I have to submit ourselves to God. But it only comes as we intentionally seek prayer and spend time in God's Word. And and so it would call us right now just to be honest before God. How much time did we spend in prayer in the last seven days. How much time did we spend in reading the scriptures. Just to know God. And to know how to live right. The amount of time we spend with God. Will directly affect how much we are transformed by God. And part of knowing God's will. And one way that we know that we are in God's will is if we do the second part of this text, and that is this, we proclaim God's message. Notice what Paul says, back up into verse 12 again. It says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel. Now, Paul is gonna come back to it in verse 17 when he says, for we're not as many which corrupt the word of God. Then he, he begins to go in chapter three, do we again commend ourselves or, or need we as some other epistles of commendation? Paul is actually contrasting himself with the false teachers. See, the false teachers, they were coming in, they were telling people what they wanted to hear. And so what they would do for each other is they would write letters for each other. Go, hey, you know what, you really ought to listen to this guy, he's a good guy. And they would hand it to him and he would take it to the next city. And Paul's going, you know what, we don't need that. You know why? Because if you listen to what we say, it matches up with what God says. So if you want to know if we're really from God or not, listen to what I say and match it up with Scripture. If what you hear is Scripture, then it's God. If it's not matching up, it's not. This is where Paul is getting at. Paul is going, listen, my life is about preaching Christ's gospel. He is a perfect example of what it means to have a laser-focused ministry. He was consumed and concerned by one thing. Sharing the gospel to the ends of the world. If there's anything you and I could give ourselves of our time, energy, and resources that would give our life purpose and that would make a difference in our lives, our family's lives, church life, community, it would be this, sharing the gospel. That's the one thing that we could give ourselves to that would have the greatest transformation on any of us. We live in a world that's full of activities to do. There are hundreds of things that are vying for our attention. How many of you have a pretty full schedule? Maybe not today, but starting Monday to Friday. Got a lot of things to do, right? What's the number one thing we often say? I've got more to do than I can possibly do, right? Right? All right, can we be honest? The church doesn't help this, do we? I mean, we've got something going on almost every night, most of the time, that that we could do. And they're good things. Please don't misunderstand me. Ministries are not the problem, okay? The problem is we are convinced if we want to reach more people, we need more ministries. That's a lie. Because that is saying if, I'm going to grow God's church I've got to do it my way ministries aren't the issue the, the, every, the, the real issue is this the lack of mission behind our ministries everything we do should be to for the glory of God to share the gospel Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth it's what it says, Acts 1-8, right? For the glory of God, we want to share the, the gospel everywhere we go. Fact of the matter, you know, as a church, our mission is reaching Franklin County for Christ one person at a time. We do it four ways. It's out of Acts 2.42. Through prayer, Bible study, evangelism, fellowship. Four things inform everything we do in sharing the gospel in this community. So we have to always be looking and going, all right, is this a good thing I can be doing or is it something God is asking me? See, the problem is we get wrapped up and are tied up in our schedules in doing good things while neglecting what God has asked us to do. When we make decisions, the first question we ought to ask, How is doing this going to get the gospel further? How are people going to hear the gospel if we do this today? I think the best way to describe a lot of churches would be this. Jack's of all trades and masters of none. We got a lot of stuff going on. We look busy. No, kind of like one of the churches uh, Jesus talked about there in Revelation 3 says, I I know your reputation. You You have a reputation of being alive. But I tell you, you're dead. You're doing a lot of stuff, but it's not what I'm asking you to do. And this is where he's getting at. You know, I sat down and this this outline has been put together for a month, and sitting there and just just writing out as God was was laying it out and and seeing it, two questions came to my mind, and I. I I dreamed for about 40 minutes right? now. So I, I want you to come into my world. I want you to dream with me for a moment. And here are the two questions, okay? What if we chopped our ministry calendar in half and freed up individuals and families to spend more time in the community for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel? What if we just leveraged the relationships that we already have but we redeemed them to share the gospel. I mean, how many of you have ever gone to Kroger or Food Line, and though they have 12 checkout lines, two of them are open? If if you're working at Kroger, please don't take this personal. I mean, you you created like 10 lanes of self-checkout, and only two of those are open. Anyway, all right. But we get annoyed by that, right? Why? I've got time. I've got to go. But what if, what, what if we, we leveraged that time and said, you know what, this inconvenience can actually be a gospel opportunity. Because the person in front of us, guess what? They can't go anywhere. They're waiting to check out. Right? The person behind us, they could go somewhere. They could go to another line. But what if we just use that? to ask a simple question. Hey, do you have a church home that you, that you regularly attend? If not, man, I'd love to invite you to one. Or if you got the, the, the kind of time, hey, you know, what do you think happens to us when we die? Man, I love that question because everybody's got an opinion on that. What if we, we took those everyday annoyances and we allowed God to redeem them for gospel purpose? Man, that was fun. All right, so here was the other question that that started my, my mind racing. What if we leveraged every resource we have, money, buildings, everything, what if we leveraged it all to reach the community with gospel? What if everything we saw that God has graciously given us, this is a tool and a resource to reach the lost in Franklin County. Man, I'm going to tell you. Again, I lost 40 minutes just sitting there right uh, of what it would be like. So, I mean, what would it take for this to be a reality? How do we, let me ask it this way. How do we live out this, this first half of the text? I'm going to give you the one one application. we got to have a compassionate heart. See, in Christ, in Christ we have everything we need to reach the lost with the gospel. We don't need anything else to fulfill what God has called us to. Because in Jesus, he has given us everything. I mean, you don't really think that Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what clothes you're going to wear, or where you're going to live, but seek first the kingdom of God. You don't think he said that for nothing, do you? You don't think he inspired the apostle Paul to write, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus just for for kicks and giggles, do you? God was saying, listen, everything you need to know me and to live in a right relationship with me, I've given to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Let him be your everything. What's lacking in a lot of us in a lot of churches is a truly compassionate heart. We're, We're so busy running around trying to be the moral police that we forget to see the people behind it. Now, I'm not saying don't call a duck a duck. I'm not saying that you don't call out sin. Isaiah 520 says, What are those who call evil good and good evil? Folks, we have to be honest. If we love them, we're going to tell them the truth. Okay? So we're not saying that. But what we are saying is this. we got to stop expecting the lost to live like they're saved. Lost people live like they're lost because they're lost we got to understand this. As strange as this sounds, what they do isn't the problem. It's the symptom. See, the problem is a desperately wicked, diseased heart. And that is something you and I can do nothing to change. If we run around and and let's say that we managed to to make our community and our country and the world, let's say that we managed to legislate morality and, and they were a bunch of good people doing good things. At the end of the day, what would we have accomplished? Nothing more than paving the road to hell. Because salvation isn't what we do. It's entrusting what Christ did. Should we lobby and seek reforms? Absolutely. From the standpoint of the gospel. Because if a person doesn't have a new heart, if God does not give them a heart transplant, it doesn't matter what they do. Their eternity is still the same. This is why the church has to be on the forefront of all of these social justice issues. Not offering physical solutions but offering the spiritual solution the answer to the degradation of family and devaluing of people and babies and women and all of this the answer to all of those problems is the gospel because in the gospel God gives us a new heart and as he gives us a new heart, guess what? He then changes our mind. And as he changes our mind, he changes our actions. And that's what the lost world desperately needs. root of the problem is a heart that's far from God and eyes that are blind to the truth of God. And if we can't see past a person's sin to see their need for the gospel, how can we expect them to look past our hypocrisy? My prayer all week has simply been this. May God give us the eyes to see the world as he sees the world. Not as a group of people to be judged, but as a people to be loved and the one to the gospel for the glory of God and building up of his kingdom. You want to know the people who often forgive the most? Those who recognize how much God's forgiven them. The flip side of the coin is true as well. The people who forgive the least are those who have forgotten what God has forgiven them from or people who have never experienced it begin with. The most famous verse in all the Bible starts out this way. For God so loved the world. God pursued us. When, when we weren't even thinking about Him, we didn't care about Him. God pursued us. And if God loved us enough to pursue us in order to save us, why aren't we willing to do the same for those that are far from Him? No, you and I cannot save them, but we can can share how they can be saved. We just have to love them enough. And we have to remember this. Before the grace of God changed our life, we were just like Him. Listen to what it says, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, that you in verse one is Paul talking about the believers, before you were saved, you were just like And then, all of a sudden, Paul flips the entire passage with two words. But God. Listen to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Man, I love that. God loved us not because we started coming to church or we were a good person. God loved us when we were miserable, wretched sinners. All right? So, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's remember our But God story. If you claim to be saved here this morning, do you remember yours? I'm not asking, do you remember the date and the time? You know what? The, I mean, the reality is, what we can remember today, we tend to forget tomorrow. I'm not asking, do you know the date, time, and place? I'm asking, do you remember that time where for the first time you heard the Holy Spirit going, you're going the wrong way. But Jesus died to save you. You're sinning by rejecting, but he wants to save you. Do you remember surrendering to him? Not that you figured out Christianity, you understand a thing in the Bible, First time you really understood that you were a sinner, but Jesus died in order to save you. We need to remember. We need to remember how God, in His love, reached to the lowest depths of hell to rescue and redeem us from ourselves, from our sins and ourselves. And then we need to, with a renewed gratefulness and gratitude toward what God has done, we need to leave this place. And go share that message with the world so they can have a butt God story. See, here's the thing. There are four billion people around the world that don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's a big number. I mean, can we just be honest? That's a huge number. That's overwhelming. That's having a to-do list that's so long that you're overwhelmed and you don't even know where to start. But God's not asking us to go reach 4 billion people by ourselves. What about your wife? Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's an acquaintance that you meet, you know, grocery store, ball field, wherever. But somebody that you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you begin to pray for them by name every day? And pray and ask God if you could have an opportunity just to share the gospel with them. And here's the thing, you can't control their response. I know we like to, but you can't. All we can do is be faithful to what we know we're to do and then leave the results up to God. See, the gospel's not just for the sinner, it's for the saint. To the sinner this morning, God is saying, come. Turn from your sin and trust in what Jesus did for you. The wonderful news is this. You have not sinned so egregiously that the grace of God cannot save you completely. So he says, come. Whatever you've done, come. There is forgiveness found in that cross. But that gospel is also for us who, are, who have been rescued and redeemed and now called to have compassion to go out and reach those that are lost. So who's your one? Who will you bring before the throne of God? Would you stand with me as we're gonna to pray to God? Father, as we continue just to to go through this service. Father, we want to pray for everyone who is here, especially for those who have never surrendered to your grace. Father, I thank you for that privilege of being able to share the gospel with them, just as I'm grateful that someone years ago loved me enough to share the truth with me. But Father, I pray for those who need to simply come to you this morning. Father, I pray that they would hear and have heard the truth of the gospel and that even now they begin crying out from their heart, acknowledging their sin, but trusting in what Jesus did to save them. But Father, there's no one in this place that's not touched by the fact that there are so many people who are lost. Who are you asking us to pray for? Who are you asking us to have compassion on in order to tell the truth of the gospel? So as you have spoken, let us respond. In Jesus' name, amen. As you continue, stand, we're going to sing one more song. If there's anything you need to pray about, if I can pray with you, the altar is open.